Verb me. Validate me. I like your eyeglasses. Thank you. Costco special. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny to it's here. You know, I, I heard the tale of the eyeglasses uh, last episode, and now there they are before me. One gets used to them fairly yeah. quickly. Uh, um, I'm very grateful for them. I was able to drive down from from Seattle uh, without falling asleep in traffic. <laughs> that's that's excellent. Feeling uh, um, like my head is being pierced by amateur fencers. <laughs> So, uh, how is Idlewild? You, I, you keep uh, tweeting uh, photo- photographs that fill me with envy. I, it's it's a uh, it's, it's very nice. It's, uh, Idlewild is always pleasant. You've visited once or twice. Uh, yeah, just once, once, but it was, it was great. Yeah. Uh, also, I just got an iPad for Father's Day. The, usually, the um, stress is on the first syllable. Is it iPad? Yeah. You might have been in Scotland too long. iPad is uh, I- is not correct. <laughs> iPad. <laughs> Give me so, an iPad, lassie. <laughs> with, its little, with its little camera, I uh, I lost me eye. I only have me me iPad. So just a, a a shortcut just to take pictures instead of actually say anything about instead of interpreting the world through text. <laughs> yeah. Take a picture. But there's so much so much to picture here that uh so many woodsy scenes. Yep. So many uh and squirrels. I could tell that you were in a cabin because everything besides your head in, in that in the image I'm seeing is wood. It's just yes. wood. It's all wood. It's all wood. It's all very thin wood. The bathroom is framed with very paper-thin wood. Really? So if there are any bathroom noises, they are not hidden by the... uh, Surely surely you, Jill, and Oscar don't don't make such crass sounds. No, we don't, but sometimes there have been visitors. Oh, yes. There have been guests. (laughs) I've trusted too much. So I I actually have... Cabin architecture. I actually have... um, uh, food to talk about Scottish food yeah well wh- welcome, back. welcome back to uh, the west by the way I think Scotland's the west is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I'm very happy to be home I had a well first of all I'll say that um, I was really not prepared for solitude I you know you've I, I think you're better at it than I am naturally but I I I didn't understand when you were alone in Marfa for all that time. I just didn't understand what happens to a human, especially an extroverted one, when they are in in, in completely alone for a long time with nothing go, to do but write. You go quickly mad. Yes. Yeah. I I really felt crazy. I was um, I would just get cracked up about random garbage that passes through my head, and then I would cry over things and. Then I would like be dying to see people, and then I would uh, be terrified at the possibility of seeing people. And uh, eventually, I met some people and liked them. And now I have some new Scottish friends. But um, but for the most part, I just stayed in my friend's house and drafted this novel, which I I came I came to the end of, which is not to say it's finished, but I haven't. I've come to the end of draft one. Oh, very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, I'm pretty excited about having completed something, not excited about the thing itself, mm-hmm. which I know right. from experience is going to um, vex and and depress me once I read it. You will often take a year or two after finishing a draft, your first draft. I think you have often. You yeah, have sometimes. I know. I I mean, it's going to be spring before I submit it. I think to my literary agent, and then he'll probably run me through some changes before we send it to Gray Wolf, and then it will be another year and a half of um, tweaking with with my editor, Gray Wolf Ethan, if, if they if they decide to buy it because they might not. I mean, if, you'll remember I have the, I've had the experience of writing an entire novel and sending it to my agent and him saying, "No, just write write another one." Uh, I don't think that's going to happen this time, but I do think Rian, who will be the first pass, um, 
first pass editor on this as usual will probably have a lot of suggestions and i think i'm going to give it to uh, my bandmate lauren who, who we've been trading bits of bits of novel over the past year um mm-hmm. and knows what i'm up to but uh and i'll send it to you if you want you want to read it i would love to all right i'll send always, it to you i always feel very special when i get to read something in manuscript yeah <laughs> and, I, and i and part of that specialness is the the possibility of being helpful yeah, well, you always are. Was for some reason the criticism of yours, you're, one of the things you do with criticism is it's clear that you're you're bothered by something, but you find the kindest, most productive way to say it. Um, but there's one that I loved where uh, you read an early draft of On the Night Plane, and it, it, the protagonist was taking a train either into or out of Chicago. I can't remember which, and uh, he he said um, you said. Perhaps he sees a stockyard, <laughs> and then uh, he goes into a restaurant because it was the fifties or so, right? It was the forties, yeah. And 40s, then, yeah. Um, and then he he goes and eats at a restaurant. And I this this draft, I just I didn't put in any of the details. It was extremely sparse. And you <laughs> said perhaps it's a steakhouse. <laughs> you were right. It was. It had to be a steakhouse. Yeah. It was. So perhaps it's a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so here's the i i will talk about two food items one of them popular in scotland and i'm i understand all of the uk but i'd, I'd never heard of it um it's so pervasively everywhere that i couldn't believe i'd never heard of it but knowing you you've probably heard of it um and it is halloumi have you heard of halloumi don't mm heard of but i don't know anything about it don't know what it is it's a type of cheese i've got it i've got it open on wikipedia here it's a cypriot Mm -hmm. and it's a semi-hard says wikipedia unripened Mm, brined cheese made from a mixture of goats and sheep's milk and sometimes also cow's milk it's a bit like mozzarella in flavor Mm -hmm. and texture except it's tougher and when you fry it it doesn't melt what how can does, such a magical substance exist? It's it's. At what uh, point does it turn into gold? <laughs> well, after you fry it, it turns into pure culinary gold because it's delicious. And uh, I ate it uh, in a salad, a salad uh-huh. with chunks of halloumi in it, and I ate so it. So it's fried up. It's fried up. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's it's popular with vegetarians because it has a it has a roasty meaty flavor when you. Um, it's a good substitute for meat, essentially. So I ate actually a burger, which consisted of halloumi, a layer of halloumi, and a layer of um, like a r- roasted red pepper. And I ate an actual a cheeseburger, essentially a cheeseburger, yeah. And I ate an actual hamburger with halloumi on it, and uh, meat hamburger with halloumi on it. it was also really good. So, and apparently it's with the Wegmans carries it, our local supermarket, but it's a pretty obscure. You know, yeah. item that they don't have a lot of. But I'm going to buy some and cook it up for my family. I'm really excited about it. I'll look for it when I get back to Seattle. Yeah. Um, but it says, Halloumi is popular in Cyprus, Greece, Turkey, and the Levant. It has recently become very popular in the United Kingdom, and my, my travels bear that out. It says the Levant? The Levant. What is the Levant? Lebanon, Palestine, Israel. Uh, the Levant. Syria. Oh, you're throwing Syria in, are you? No, it's just, parts of Syria. It's just it's a kind of a crusader era term. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Wikipedia. People are nerds. Mm. Seems yeah, oddly. Anyway, odd the, the other thing that I ate a lot. Levantine cheese. Oh, okay. The word Levantine is yes. very familiar to me, but the Levant is not. So, of course, that would be where it comes from. Uh, the other thing I was eating, of course, was uh, haggis. And the, uh, which I love, and um, the traditional presentation of haggis is to serve it with neeps and tatties, neeps being turnips and tatties being potatoes. Um, but because everyone has to serve this, I don't think it's, I don't think it's national law. I think it's merely tradition. Uh, from you know your basic old man pub to the to. Fancy, fancy hip new restaurant. You got to have your your variation on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I ate it four or five times, and every time these things were presented in different configurations, all basically tasted identical. There was one bit where the someone chose 
an oversized, this is at the Ubiquitous Chip, a very good uh, uh, sort of fish and chips place, in, among other things, in uh, Glasgow. Oversized dish, and in the middle, yin-yang style, yin-yang-yang, there were three identically sized and shaped portions of haggis, neeps, and teddies. They're sort of um, football-shaped, elongated football shapes arranged in a, you know, in a... It's It looks like some kind of arcane symbol. You know, like if I were to have uttered a code word when the food was placed in front of me, I would have been led into the, I don't know, Scottish, special Scottish secret club. Ooh. Anyway... But the idea that the three would be equal in proportion is, I think, kind of radical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another time... It takes the focus off the haggis. Exactly, exactly. The focus is not on the haggis anymore. The more neep-focused. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think the neeps are usually the thing there's the least of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the haggis and potato will, would either, you know, one or the other will, was, will, would, would be prominent. And then I got one that was uh, in Edinburgh that was like a, it looked like a, like a castle, like a like a tower, a castle tower, and uh, it had this very thick underlayer of tatties. It's completely cylindrical, so they're packing it into some kind of I don't know can, I, I don't know <laughs> some mold. <laughs> tatties are on the bottom, and they're they they form the underlayer. And there's more of them. Then there's like a, a fairly thick layer of haggis on top of it, and then the the neeps are cut into cubes, and they're sort of mm-hmm. sprinkled on top, almost like the crenellations of the tower were mm-hmm. destroyed in a, you know, in a uh, in an attack, and now they're scattered all over the top of the tower. There's one archer hanging on up there. <laughs> yeah, they they put a little army man there and mm-hmm. just stuck it in the in the neeps. Hopeless, but he's standing at his post. Yeah. Uh, so the I potatoes got- could be cubed, could be mashed, could any the- sort of potato. I, I don't, uh, you know, every every it's time soft. I've ever had it, it's been mashed. The mm-hmm. neeps have taken different forms, but the, uh, the you know, the usual thing is for everything to be mush, all three of them to be some form of mash, mm-hmm. which is fine by me, but but I was surprised you I mix ate... them together, like rice and bean style, you kind of yeah, you can. swirl them? Yeah, I prefer to take a little bit of either some neeps and some haggis and some tatties and some haggis on the fork together. All, uh-huh. all three I don't usually mix up, and I don't, like, swirl them together. I keep them discreet on the fork, but they're both part of the same bite. How do you, a little side side venture here, how do you eat, uh, in what manner do you take your um, Neapolitan ice cream? When I, here's something I don't like. I'll tell you what I don't like. Right. I don't like taking some Neapolitan ice cream out of the freezer and seeing that <laughs> someone has... Yeah. Finding that somebody has taken all of the strawberry or all of the chocolate, yeah. but it happens, doesn't it? It does happen. It does yeah. happen. Um, so yeah, I like to, I like to, I like to scrape, you know, against the against the grain, as it were, so that I get a little of each in every scoop. Mm-hmm. So do you like? Do you prefer to take one one scoop of strawberry, one scoop of chocolate, one scoop of of vanilla? It's really very mood dependent. Yeah, very mood dependent. Yeah. I'm likely to to uh, I'm likely to eat it out of the box of ice cream <laughs> directly standing by the the fridge. Um, <laughs> Is it, have you focus, clo- have you closed the freezer door? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm energy conscious. I'm not wasteful. I might close it part way. <laughs> yeah. Leave it open a little bit. I feel like there's a commitment when you actually close the door. <laughs> make a commitment. And uh, if you're trying sort of to tentativeness, <laughs> a sort of robust health, healthful tentativeness, as long as the door is still open, you aren't just digging out on ice cream. Exactly. Exactly. You're just looking to see what what is here, what is in here. Oh. If, and if maybe some of it is entering your body as you do so, well, that's what happens. But you're not you're not eating. No, I'm just uh, surveying the contents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you, in one bite of Neapolitan ice cream, do you like to have multiple flavors or two? You... I think two. Yeah, like with the the haggis, neeps, and tides, tatties, neep tide. I think two, two flavors. 
Yeah, because at some point you might as well be eating stew. Yeah. You know, uh, order one. Order a stew if you'd like one. If you'd like one, but you you know some some discreetness between the the, the various things, um, the various ingredients, um, but not so much that uh, you're eating separate piles of something. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I'm surprised that I ate really well in Scotland, and not much is said about the availability of good food in Scotland. But whether it was British food, you know, or traditional Scottish food, or whether it was more, you know, international kind of cuisine, uh, I didn't have a single crappy meal no, in Scotland. Good. I met this woman in um, Dundee where I was staying, uh, named Peggy Hughes, who works for the the Dundee Literary Festival, I think. And she's a very, um, uh, very talkative Irish woman who's extremely funny. And I said to her, I'm going to Edinburgh for a couple of days. Um, where do you recommend that I go? And so she, she and her fiancé, with great excitement, gave me a list. And everything on the list was a restaurant. <laughs> it, was, it was clear that she'd gotten to know me very well in the hour uh-huh. that we'd been together. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, it was all it was all food and drink, and uh, she sent me to a, a gelato place and a, a couple of bars and some coffee shops and some restaurants. And what you know, every one of them was pure gold. Not up to the the, the high castle. Not uh, not to no Hugh McDermott's grave, but just uh, <laughs> no. a gelato. Yes, the castle's not there to be gone to. The castle is there to be in the background when you're eating gelato. Yeah. Most castles. <laughs> so they've they've been repurposed. So what was the so you ate well? Uh, yeah. What was the what was the low culinary point? The yo, the low culinary point was. Did probably, you uh, so you were staying in a place? You didn't go out for every meal. Did you uh, go to the no. grocery store? Yeah. Make some groceries. Bring back something. Uh, well, actually, my main subsistence was uh, food. Was Alice Boland's. Um, Ramen in miso soup. Mm. Did you see that she posted this on Twitter? The ramen burrito? Ramen burrito? No, <laughs> not the ramen burrito. I don't know about that. Oh. That sounds good, though. Yeah. Well, she, <laughs> what, did she just make it up? Uh, there was a picture. It's photographic evidence of a ramen burrito. Made by Alice? Mm, I think it was... I don't know who made it. Yeah. But anyway, she, her thing was... If you take ramen and you just throw out the flavor packet and you get a, a separate packet of miso soup mix and you cook the noodles and then you um, you make the miso soup. In the meantime, you've fried up some uh, some uh, uh, mushrooms, you know, some uh, garlic or onions, some, uh, you know, uh, some cubes of tofu, any other stuff you want to put in there. Um, and you just mix it all together, throw in some soy sauce. You've got a really good soup filled with vegetables mm-hmm. and good good broth. And uh, I decided I was I went to the supermarket my first day in Dundee and bought ingredients for this, and I made it four or five times. It was really good. I'll have to try it. Um, so try try to go through it again with me. <laughs> so <laughs> ramen, yeah. So you make a you you boil up. Uh, uh, water and put the this, the miso packet in there. Yeah, and then uh, you've, you've you've sautéed some onions or garlic or something. Yeah, some mushrooms. Mushrooms. And then uh, ramen. Throw it all together. Yeah, with some with some tofu cubes. It's tofu cubes. Yeah. Earlier, hmm. you will have squeezed out the tofu and maybe maybe seasoned it if you like. You could fry it up oh. a little if you like. Or you could just dump it right in there. Hmm. Throw the ramen in after, so it's, it, it comes to a boil. Turn off the boil and throw in the ramen. Well, you don't want to boil the. You want to. You, you, you want to boil the vegetables either. No, yeah, yeah you don't want to boil the, the miso either. You want to. You want to. You want to boil the noodles separately. Yeah. And then dump out the water, and then add the noodles to the non-boiling miso vegetable mix. Why not just throw it right in the uh, miso? Throw what in the miso? The noodles. You can't. You mean throw them dry so that they cook in the miso? Oh, I see. You don't want to. You don't want to boil. Just using, the, just using the miso as seasoning. 
Yes, exactly. Oh, as, a, as, the broth, as the broth, as the broth, because you don't, you're not supposed Got to it. boil miso soup. Right. Got it. I guess yeah. that that kills off the the yum, the goodness. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's great. Isn't it? When I was in when I was in D.C. for a year by myself for nine months, um, a lot of miso. Something about miso and uh, seems perfectly calibrated to the the, the the solo diner. Well, you remember. Um, Marianne's restaurant in the back of the Union Club. Contemplative miso soup, yeah. yeah she First time to, I ever had miso soup. Was that Marianne's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it was a dollar. Mm-hmm. And you could go in there and just get the miso. You could get miso soup for a dollar and, like, sweet potato fries for $2. This was and in the could, back of the Union Club yeah. in Missoula, Montana. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you could eat really cheap. And that she, she called it tithing. She thought that was her way of giving back to the community. She she thought, giving them cheap miso soup and sweet potato fries. And then she went out of business. <laughs> then she went out of business. And then it all went tits up. Yeah. <laughs> nice try. Way to go with the generosity. How's that working out for you? Ah. You know what's totally useless, by the way? I mean, what has gone from pretty useful to useful but annoying and now to utterly useless? That's Facebook.com. The web's the popular website. The social media sharing uh yeah, huh? I was I looking at our. I think, um, I think it is extremely useful for finding out what like your uh, aunts are into. Yeah. See, here's the problem, though. I'm looking at our your mother's page. friends. What your, what are your mother's friends doing today? <laughs> what are they doing, Ed? Look on Facebook. <laughs> They're hanging out with the grandkids at a mall. And here are some photos. You and I have uh, 396 likes. 396 people have signed on to get information about our podcast on Facebook.com. Right, but they don't get it unless we pay. And last to- last episode that we posted, it yeah. said, I'm looking at the chart here. It says total reach, number of people Five. who saw it, eight. Yeah. So you have to – these people think – that they've signed up for information from you, yeah, and they're not getting it. So they think that we're not doing anything. Well, case could be made. <laughs> we are doing something right here. <laughs> yeah, but that's you know the thing. No, Facebook say, wants us to. They want. They want us to pay. Say what you will about Twitter, but the whole point of it is, you're going to see. You don't have to read it. You can scroll yeah. quickly past it if there's too much of it. But you're going to see every single thing. That is posted by the people you follow. All of them in the order that they're posted. Yeah. The timeline means something. It means easily that... easily dismissed, but comprehensive. Exactly. So you are confident. You know, if you post something, it will go into the stream with the zillions of other tweets, and it will drift down that river, and everything will stay in order. Mm-hmm. But on Facebook, that you can't configure it to do that anymore. There's no confidence that you're. The people are seeing what you want them to see. And when you're looking, there's no confidence that you are seeing what you want to see. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Five years from now, Facebook's out of business. No. Oh, yeah. No Facebook. Why do you think? Because no one's using it. Do you no, think one, that- no one is using it. No one under 20 is using it. Well, that's a problem. What are they doing instead? Snapchat. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. I was thinking of getting back on Instagram um, just because I like photography, but I think that's what I've been using. It would be burdensome. Uh, Do you know about Yo? Is it a thing where you just say Yo to people? Yeah. You 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 know when I turned on uh, when I turned on Skype, I saw that like ten days ago, you said Yo to me. (laughs) I was was on Skype. I was sitting here in this cabin, and Alice Bolin was here along with some other people for Poetry Week. And we realized that we, we maybe had not even told you that that we were um, there was a week of Alice hanging out in Idlewild. Yeah. And the way that I expressed that to you was a uh, a little yell. On, yeah. Thank but you. But then I, I think she sent you a photo. Yeah, she 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 sent me a, it was either an email or a or a, or a Twitter message or something. But uh, yeah, it's I hard knew to stay she, on top of the she, social media up on the mountain because. Um, because you're in the woods. It's just not on top of your mind. 
yeah. sort of modern modern communication. And things are very spotty. You have to sort of wait till you get to the cabin and maybe the Wi-Fi is working. There's no, you know, coverage that's reliable up here. Uh, yeah, well, Yo, you know, Yo's handy. The, 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 Yo's case is that uh, um, if you if I, if I want to type Yo to yeah. a friend using standard text messaging, nine keystrokes minimum. Yeah. Using the Yo app, I can <laughs> shout out a Yo to my Yo friends. Two two keystrokes. Turn wow. on Yo. Select friend. Yo. How is this different from uh? The Facebook poke feature. More more keystrokes. And it's flirty. Oh, it is? Yeah. Because there's an implication that you might be poking a, a uh, an intimate part of the body. <laughs> yeah, it's a tickle. Yeah. Yeah. It's could, a, be, uh, could be the it's arm, but maybe it's the, the... The Facebook poke is a pass. It's a pathetic <laughs> pass. But yo... Yo is you just yo to your bros, <laughs> even though the or or lady bros, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're not you're not a, a yo is not a uh, uh, this uh, pretty straightforward. <laughs> you don't see anything. It's just, it's just basic primate grooming, <laughs> which is all we really want from these things. Do, do you don't you see anything problematic in the term lady bros? No. Um, I hate the human race. <laughs> and this is re- related to social media and the computer age and, and the literary world. Um, and, and, of course, we're, we are probably somebody, a cynic would say that we are, you and I are at the moment engaged in an act of self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. I think it's just sort of larking about and having a chance to, uh, to to see you and talk to you. But somebody might say, "Oh yeah, but you, you know, you got a book. You can mention your book. You get a log roll books for your friends." They're gonna go, the sound they're gonna make, <laughs> and I'll be all like, "Huh?" And they'll be like, "Yeah, that's you." I'll start crying. <laughs> my book. Why are you wrote my book? I got a book uh, coming. I read my book. So there's so uh, I hate blurbs. Yeah, I don't, I've never I've never asked for one. There's no blurbs on my books. Really? Yeah. Some people uh, ask me to write them. I don't mind writing them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, a friend of a friend was sort of you know self-publishing a little harmless book of verse um, down here in, in Southern California. And uh, I asked me, I said, well, if I'd read a blurb, I said, well, let me, let me see the poems. You know, it's nice nice of you to ask me, nice of you to think that I, you know, have some taste or something. Yep. And so I looked at them, I'm in, the, I'm in the process of looking at them. It's taking me a while. Sure. Got my, I'm, a, I'm an unemployed 42-year-old man. <laughs> I, I, don't have to, I don't have to answer to anybody. No. So sort of I feel. And I'm, I'm going to look at him, and I'll, I'll write a little something. This is self-published. What's the hurry? But might be his publishers after him, you know? Right, right. Um, so now it's become a thing where the guy's hassling me for the blurb. To the point, I'm at a, I'm at a public concert. There's like a little Idlewild concert. And the guy's always been nice, and our mutual friend is very nice. Um, I look at the poems. They're not, they're not the worst things that have ever been written. There's your blurb right there. Done. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm at this, it's a Buddy Holly tribute band playing at the Idlewild <laughs> yeah. Community Center. Although the fourth song they played was Margaritaville. <laughs> <laughs> they said they were like two or three Buddy Holly songs. And they're like, you know, uh, uh, Buddy Holly was friends with the king. And then they do a little bunch of Elvis songs. Like, uh, Richie Valens. Some <laughs> Richie Valens. Uh, Chubby Checker. Or, I don't know. What else you El- Elvis Costello wore glasses, too. Yeah. You don't, you don't play Margaritaville. At a... Anyway. 
I like to think that uh, Buddy Holly and uh, Jerry Buffett will be friends. <laughs> I don't like to think that. <laughs> I have a high enough opinion of Buddy Holly. <laughs> think that he would not like Jimmy Buffett. I just really like the conceptual weakness of the of the band. It's not, it's not. It's so specific enough, Buddy Holly. That's sort of specific. Yeah, you know? it really is. You can't. You had one job, and here you are Fucked playing Margaritaville. Four songs in. So anyway, you're at this concert, outdoor concert, and I have Oscar, unless my son is visiting. Uh, yep. Joel and Oscar are down. They can only come down for four or five days out of the three weeks that I'm here. So I miss them terribly. Um, and uh, you know who doesn't care about about you and your children? Old people. <laughs> so it's yeah. like my first lunch with, 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 with my family after not seeing them for 10 days. And some old person comes and sort of takes over, hijacks lunch. Um, knows, I t- tell them, you know, well, we haven't, it was sort of dining hall situation. Yeah. Somebody else kind of wants something. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to talk to my wife and son. I haven't seen them for 10 days. Like, oh, that's great. That's great. But let me tell you about this thing that I'm doing that I need, <laughs> need from you. How do you get on Wikipedia? Was that person's question. <laughs> How do you get on there? <laughs> I, mean, I write poems. Why, why, not, why am I not on Wikipedia? Why don't you just die along with the rest of the human race? So I'm, that's, I'm, that's the perfect answer to that question. Yeah. You just die. Yeah. Maybe you do get so on I, Wikipedia, maybe you don't, but you're going to die. Just FYI. So, so, the, so the Buddy Holly band is playing Margaritaville, and my son has a poopy diaper. <laughs> Yeah. There's no place to change the diaper, uh, so I'm I'm uh, just kind of laying him on the ground, and I'm I'm like a like you seem like when a giraffe tries to drink water. <laughs> yeah, you know they have to sort of it's not it's not a graceful moment. Yeah, for the giraffe, the giraffe is a noble, beautiful animal, <laughs> but when it has to bring its 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 enormous head from its height of 19 feet down to you know down to the water it looks ungainly its legs are i mean it's clearly uncomfortable it's a strange stance that it had its, cent- its center of gravity is is thrown off and in that vulnerability is the exact moment that a predatory lion would race at that ungainly giraffe <laughs> and ask it where's my blurb <laughs> You're, so you're changing a poopy diaper at a concert, and that's on when, the ground. And that's when in you get dusk. asked for the blue. Was that when you said "fuck you, go away"? No, I said, "I said no, I'm working on it." <laughs> you're gonna do it's it. Also, when I decided that I hated the entire human race, and and, and no, hope that's not do good. what I can to hasten it and death. The thing about blurbs is, you the writer should not be in the position of asking for them. It should be the the process should be completely invisible to the writer. It, it, otherwise, you just you, what this is what happens. People end well, his, up hating his each other. Publisher was asking for it. Yeah, it's true. That's true. He should he should hire a kid to just go around and get blurbs for him for a quarter. I don't know. I I, uh, I gotta, maybe, maybe it makes me sound elitist, but there's nothing elite about me. I'm I'm 42 and unemployed. There's nothing elite about me. And these people who ask for things tend to be retired and wealthy. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't feel like a snob. I feel like a poor person who is being asked to um, have to care about the rich. Yeah, sure. I don't. I want them to die. <laughs> and not in their beds. Like um, at a Burger King. Like someplace really unpleasant. Last, <laughs> of, last of, thing of, they what? See, of what? Last, at the Burger King? last thing they want is uh, of... Uh, of uh, gastroenteritis, and, <laughs> and the last thing I want them to see is Mary McCheese looking down on them. <laughs> Wait a minute, is Mary McCheese a Burger King character or a McDonald's character? 
Now who's the alias, John? Yeah, oh, no, I, because if so, um, what is this? What is this place that has mayors and kings? Hey. <laughs> what is this place that has mayors and kings? <laughs> what is this? This anarchy. <laughs> everybody gets a prize these days yeah exactly exactly everyone gets a ribbon <laughs> no yep. I, I don't. all you have to do is order french fries and just like that you're a comptroller oh uh, so you know i'll try to turn away from my my dark thoughts um here's the thing that i actually like this development um if i read a book that i really like um i'll 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 make a tweet about it and say, yeah. you know, this is a book that I have read on my own volition because I wanted to read something. It's and if volume it is, seven of Penthouse Forum Letters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what will happen is, and I often I will get a, you know, I'll get an advanced copy of something or I'll, I'll buy a book right when it comes out. I'm anticipating it and I buy it when it comes out and I will um, say something nice about it on the internet, on Twitter. And within 24 hours, the um, uh, the publicist of the writer will write to me and say, hey, can we use that quote from Twitter? Yeah. And I'll say, fine. Because it was not, there was no it's obligation. Twitter. It's public. I, I, I can't remember, I was talking to somebody about this who didn't like this practice, thought it was it was uh, mercenary in some way. It's like, um, or just sort of, go, oh, I, it, was a, it was a writer who, um, uh, a pu- their publisher saw something I'd written about him online. I wrote a little essay about him online, uh, saying praising him, and this publisher quoted it in the publicity materials for his next book. They didn't ask me if they could do this, but I had said I'd said it in public. You know, I'd published a piece about yeah. the guy. So naturally, the same way that you would quote a book review, you don't ask the book reviewer, "May I put a quote on the paperback?" You just, it was said, you know, it'll say so-and-so. New York Times said that this book is good. Similarly, this, you know, they, they grabbed this bit of an essay saying, me saying, I like this yeah. guy. And when the book came out, I was like, oh, they used my quote. And of course, I because I love the guy, I, I was happy. But I got yeah. a letter from him. Um, he was asking me for some publishing advice. And then he let let go with some real vitriol about that that. You know, I'm still upset with them that they just took your quote without even asking. And I was like, no, man. That's not public, how it works. It's public pronouncement. Exactly. I made a public pronouncement out of out of the goodness of my heart, or just mainly because I wanted to talk about something I liked. So this but I like this. I like this thing because I don't like being asked for a blurb because I have been in that position knowing that people I like or know personally. You know, people publishers always want to ask George Saunders to blurb me because they know I know him, but he doesn't want to give blurbs. He doesn't give blurbs, and I don't want him to be asked, you know? And I don't want anybody I know to be asked. But, of course, those are the people who are most likely to do it because they they know that I know they're being asked, and if they say no, then they know that they have refused to do me a favor. And I don't want them— It's also silly. It's It's ridiculous. So I try to do them usually when I'm asked to do them. I just did one for the, I think I told you the John Darnielle book, which I think is really good. Um, but I got, you know, I got one in the mail yesterday. Did They didn't, they should have asked me ahead of time. They should have emailed me and said, hey, can we send you this book? And I would have said, no, I don't have, I don't know that person. I don't have time. But, um, but now I've been sent, to, and that's why they do it because you've been given a free book and it's on your desk. It's a physical artifact. And every time you shove it out of the way, you know, to get at your, you know, your, your notebook or whatever, uh, you feel bad for not having done it. I don't know. This is, t- this is insider talk, but I will say there's, there's something about the literary world. That's like, but there's some, there's some version of it in anybody's profession, anybody's life. There's yeah. some, there's some sort of little bureaucratic t- meaningless, not meaningless, but some, you know, some, some little bureaucratic, what it is is a bureaucratic task. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's you're being asked. Really, you're being asked, if you if you're really ethical, you're being asked to read somebody's read something that you didn't want to read necessarily, and and approve of it. Yeah, or, or at best, you know, or or say some lies, some some white lies, saying that you like something that you haven't read. Yeah, and, or I mean, that, you, that you've read and you don't like. 
Yeah, and that's there's some version of that in everybody's field of endeavor, right? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I you know, I you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm thinking maybe one of the differences between you and me is that pre-internet uh you thought maybe people were all right. Yeah, and they're I, not. I I I I did not think they were all right and then the internet has merely confirmed what I already I already believed. Whole... You got you got to look for the good ones and then, I mean they're they're there of course, but Yeah, so you say. <laughs> Ed, seriously, are you are you in a long dark night of the soul here? Where's my blurb? <laughs> Where's my blurb? I don't know. No, no, it's not that dark. It's just I, I just feel. I mean, I just feel. It makes me feel like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Well, you know, yeah. This is the do one. You, this is the. This is this is the. I don't know. Are you, do you? Would you like to? If you were offered a job, say a teaching job right now, would you be happy? Would that make you happy? Or do you? Would you like rather to? Are you in know. some level enjoying your your uh, solitude? Not solitude. Your lack of a job. Your unemployment. Well, it keeps me busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the show that's coming up. The triggering time. Yeah. August twenty second. I've got some some readings coming up, and I'm excited about the work that I've been doing. Um, oh, good. Yeah, no, I'm no, I'm I, I am I'm, I'm totally happy. It's just uh, I just uh, um, uh, there's sort of there's a few ways in the last couple of weeks where I've had just have been face to face with the absolute utility of uh, the futility of 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 poetry and being a poet. Yeah. And uh it just gets me down. Well But there's also been some wonderful moments. Um I'm 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 teaching right now a bunch of uh a bunch. Four I've got a class of four high school students. I'm teaching for two weeks here at the Idle Wild Summer Program. Great kids. Hi Oski. Uh, uh four students for two weeks, six or seven hours a day. Talking about poetry with 16-year-olds is pretty great. Um, one of them, every poem has to do with the band My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Wonderful. My niece is into them. Yeah. I think everybody's niece is into them. Bless them. Bless their hearts. And uh, good, But even, you know, all, it's all good poetry. And we've been spending the last few days um, talking about Pablo Neruda. Great. Which is, which is nice. Uh, nice way to spend some time. There's a little um, little essay of his that we have, that I've you know I've, I've known for twenty years and and have uh, you know taught occasionally. What uh, is that never, essay, Ed? Never have I, because uh, it seemed to have had such impact on students, and then sort of made me take a look at it again. Um, it's just a little short essay about a page long called "Toward an uh, an Impure Poetry." There it is. Jill's going to go change Oscar's diaper now, and I'm going to go ask her where my blurb is. <laughs> yeah. Jill, I suppose Jill. One, one, one of the freaky things about that that, that that just got to me on an elemental level is this connection between shit, literal human excrement, and um, self-promotion <laughs> of, of, of you know, people in, in poetry. They're the, the right there together. It's just a little yeah. compact. I'm dealing with shit, and I'm dealing with shit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, that's, but that's not, it's not so much a, a, a problem of the literary world as, as it is a problem of nar- narcissism. Yeah. You know, I, there's a, um, there's this, uh, I won't get specific about it, but I was at a, I was at an event. I was part of a panel, mm-hmm. um, and a member of the crowd was a young person whose work I knew was very was very bad, mostly because this person was very young and had not had not been exposed enough to the idea that um, you have to have something to say in order to 
in order in order for saying it to be worthwhile and of course you've got to revise it you've got to rethink what you've done contemplate whether or not it was actually worth doing the way you did it and maybe fix it or maybe try something else and this person had written several novels uh before the age of 19 and was very angry that no one was accepting them for publication mm-hmm. and uh I, you know, I, 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 uh, so this person asked, what do I do? What do I do now? Right the I, said, I, I said, I just, you know, keep doing it for 10 years was my, was the answer. And it was really, really, really poorly received. Um, and I think this, the, I think the, uh, the problem here was that, that there's this idea that, 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 that it's, a it's a game, you know. It's there's a series of ne- right. networking things you can do. There's a series of steps you can take that essentially guarantees you publication. And of course, if you want to self-publish, then those steps do exist, and you can go ahead and do it. And it's all it's all it's, it's not unrespectable, in fact, these days. But no. uh, but the fact is, thinking that you deserve something. I think even those of us who have managed to find a publisher and are you know, sort of prominent in our fields, uh, are not going to be happy unless we accept the idea that it could all disappear tomorrow and very well might. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think that this guy just, you know, he thinks he deserves the blurb from you, and um, he just can't believe you haven't given it to him yet. Yeah, in his know. mind, in his mind, the box has been checked off. Get blurb from Ed Skoog. You said, I'll take a look at it. And he just checked the box off in his head. And the fact that it hasn't become real yet is becoming increasingly stressful to him. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't feel like I owe this motherfucker anything. Of course you don't. All you said was that you were going to take a look at it. And you're in the process of doing that. Yeah. Aren't you? I, but a lot, of, a lot of what's got me down lately. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who feel like I owe them something because I write poetry. Yeah, I don't get that. You know, because and, and because I've, I've published a couple, a couple of small books that that have made no impact whatsoever. Um, that I I owe hobbyists uh, my love. <laughs> <laughs> no? Yeah. Well, that's you know that's this is this is one of the things that bothers me about the whole. Um, we've talked about it before. The whole does poetry matter? Yes, it does. Conversation with the self. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that you're by addressing the relevance of poetry. You're inviting the possibility. You're inviting the idea that it, it, in fact, has to be relevant, right? You know, and that we're all together. We're uh, we're in the midst of a, um, a a communal effort to perpetuate the form, and right. suddenly, suddenly, you do owe people things. You owe people things because you owe poetry things. Yeah, Ugh, it's all gross. Anyway, here's that essay by Neruda. Yeah. Um, who I think would have reacted to all of these situations very sweetly. <laughs> okay. Uh, and would have found in them reasons to go on. Uh, Towards an Impure Poetry by Pablo Neruda. It's like 1928, I think. It is good at certain hours of the day and night to look closely at the world of objects at rest. Wheels that have crossed long, dusty distances with their mineral and vegetable burdens. Sacks from the coal bins, barrels and baskets. Handles and hafts for the carpenter's tool chest. From them flow the contacts of man with the earth, like a text for all troubled lyricists. The used surfaces of things. The wear that the hands give to things. The air. Tragic at times, pathetic at others to such things. All lend a curious attractiveness to the reality of the world that should not be underprized. In them, one sees the confused impurity of the human condition, the massing of things, 
the use and disuse of substances, footprints and fingerprints, the abiding presence of the human engulfing all artifacts inside and out. Let that be the poetry we search for, worn with the hand's obligations as by acids, steeped in sweat and in smoke, smelling of lilies and urine, spattered diversely by the trades that we live by, inside the law or beyond it. A poetry impure as the clothing we wear, on our bodies, soup-stained, soiled with our shameful behavior, our wrinkles and vigils and dreams, observations and prophecies, declarations of loathing and love, idols and beasts, the shocks of encounter, political loyalties, denials and doubts, affirmations and taxes. The holy canons of madrigal, the mandates of touch, smell, taste, sight, hearing, the passion for justice, sexual desire, the sea sounding, willfully rejecting and accepting nothing, the deep penetration of things and the transports of love, a consummate poetry soiled by the pigeon's claw, ice-marked and tooth-marked, bitten delicately with our sweat drops in usage, perhaps. Till the instrument so restlessly played yields us the comfort of its surfaces. The woods show the naughtiest suavities. Uh, it, it, it went into the, the Skype window. So it was just the naughtiest suavities, and then it was the image of John Lennon. You, you want me to uh, Shaped by the to... pride of the tool, blossom and water and wheat kernel and share one precious consistency, the sumptuous appeal of the tactile. Let no one forget them. Melancholy, old mawkishness, impure and unflawed, fruits of a fabulous species lost to the memory, cast away in frenzy's abandonment, moonlight, the swan in the gathering darkness, all hackneyed endearments, surely that is the poet's concern, essential and absolute. Those who shun the bad taste of things will fall flat on the ice. Nice. Another translation was those who shun the bad taste of things will fall face down in the snow. That's like good that. too. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a, it's a manifesto against snobbery. Mm-hmm. An impure poetry. Soup stained. With uh, uh, with all the the flaws of and wear and tear of our obligations and imagination and diapers and everything. How did this? How did the students like it? I loved it. Well, we're looking at it in, in, alongside twenty or thirty of Neruda's poems, which contain all of that. Yeah. And one nice thing is, is, so all four students uh, speak Spanish very well. Two, because oh. that's their heritage, and two are just good students. And so we're able to read all the poems uh, in Spanish and in English. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, I can read it. Yeah. I can read, I can read the poems I've been reading in Spanish for 20 years pretty well. <laughs> all right, good. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean that that's a it's a that, that's a lot to go on in that you know well it 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 matches I don't I don't feel very pure as a poet right now I feel kind of sullied. Is uh, it are you sullied by the external trappings of poetry or by poetry itself? By just by by, by doing a lot of a lot of teaching and deal and and, and working with with grown-ups who have ideas of poetry that are different from mine and have come to it um, in, in, in different ways. The, a lot of ways that I think are, are, are really messed up. Um, and, uh, and just sort of getting my hands dirty with, uh, um, with, with interacting with, with all that instead of just being the, you know, the pure Stevensian poet up in the, the Tower of Moonlight living entirely in one's head, you know? Right. Which has never been me, you know? Uh, it just feels very rough and tumble. 
and everything everyone seems really cynical and any anything that I, I just feel like I'm treading water anything that I try to say about poetry except with the addition with the, except with these kids just seems to be met with uh uh sickness with uh you know so my, my friend Rich Smith just published a little, a little thing about um, in City Arts. I'll send you the link to this, um, which is a, like a you know a Seattle City magazine um, about the arts. Not a large circulation, a free little paper for coffee houses. Sure. And it's about um, poet voice, and it's a an argument, you know, saying that you know one of the one of the problems, one of the reasons why people don't take poetry seriously is because most of the time when people hear it spoken out loud, it just sounds like uh, stroke victims, you know, <laughs> uh, except for like, but not like a person who's actually had a stroke and is trying to overcome their speech problems with a pathologist. Somebody just, just, you know, happy it happened, you know? Um, and, uh, and he gives, he gives some examples, um, uh, of it and, uh, of, of, of it done badly. And, uh, he's just been raked over the, Calls on the internet machine by people supporting, you know, their teacher, um, and you just well, it's it's just it's, it's, it's troll bait, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, uh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm uh, that. It, it, it's it's a it's a sort of a, a lighthearted, reasonable thing to say is that poetry's read poorly, read it a little bit better. Yeah, well, um, and the and thing get is, attacked. pieces like that, pieces yeah. like that are are meant to be read gotten angry at and then a few hours later thought about a second time no and then you think oh all right i kind of see where that's coming from when when the primary source for an argumentative essay was a print magazine or a book um there was you you, you know your reaction to it the the time it took for other people to hear your reaction to it was by necessity long you would have to write a rebuttal you would have to submit it somewhere for publication and it would have to be published most people will have forgotten the article that you're debating about so you would have to write it so that it reminded them about it and then you would quote it and by that time you probably will have arrived at a more nuanced view of what the writer was trying to say but now you can link to it without even completing reading it on twitter or facebook and become outraged and lots of people like to be outraged. And mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't be a problem because we should have the apparatus for quiet contemplation and reasonable response built in to ourselves. Mm -hmm. But because we have the opportunity not to bother, we don't bother. Thus, much internet discourse is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And since that's the main discourse, discourse is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so like, here's the. I feel like like one, like, like a troll among trolls. Yeah, I was gonna be all cheerful today because I'm in a good mood generally. It's nice here, sun's shining. But the then squirrel, you saw my face for the first time in three weeks, and rattlesnakes everywhere. Yeah, giant pine cones. Rattlesnakes, a lot of rattlesnakes. Day one, there's a three foot rattlesnake curled up uh, in the back door of the library here. Really. Up on the stairs. <laughs> yeah. What a strange place to hang out if you're a rattlesnake. Why? What's in it nice, for you? Nice sunny spot. A lot yeah. of resources. Mice. I, I suppose there's some mice. I don't know. Uh, it's been uh, it's been very very dry here, and it got warm very early, and uh, and so there've been. Uh, more snakes than anyone can remember here. Dogs are being, a lot of dogs are dying, getting bit. Um, I was a little, little worried about having Oscar here, but he only has another six hours left in Idlewild, so we can just make it to the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he will uh, Rattlesnake Palooza 14. This time hey. last year, we were evacuated for uh, uh, the giant fire. Oh, that's... That's right. I forgot. I think we were we were podcasting during that era. You were in a you were in a between halfway place. You were in some hotel room. Where the hell were you? 
So, yeah, I, I, I can't remember where, where we did the podcast from. I stayed uh, in a very nice hotel in Riverside, the Mission Inn, where we're going to stay tonight. And uh, then at a Motel 6 in Rancho Mirage. Is that what it's called? I don't Over know. Over in, in the desert. Palm Desert. Cathedral City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no fire this year. In fact, it's been 70 degrees, cold at night. Just uh, the steady slither of rattlesnakes outside our windows. <laughs> Thank you Asking, for sharing. Us. Where's my blurb? <laughs> where's my blurb? Blurb me. <laughs> Validate me. <laughs> you will be nothing. Don't expose Oscar to that. For Christ's sake. <laughs> A writer bit my child. <laughs> Thanks for sharing the, an hour with me that you that was among the last to, you were going to spend with your family for a little while. How long? How much longer are you going to be there? Oh, I'm here for another week. I'm here for yeah. another week. They were uh, they were sleeping in. It's only in the last fifteen minutes or so that there's been stirring from above you didn't take any time you unlike some other writers i've met lately did not take any time away. <laughs> my, my toddler son yeah <laughs> do, you, do you feel better now getting all that out? yeah I, I didn't realize how dyspeptic i was feeling until i started you talking were, yeah that was quite a terror that the whole <laughs> human race that i wanted to die you wanted to, not just to die but to die at burger king Everybody. <laughs> well, I don't mean if you're listening to this, I don't mean you. <laughs> Do you think that your blurb seeker will be uh, is stalking you now? Is is listening to our podcast? No, I, I'm sure that it, uh, um, it hasn't uh, crossed his mind, and he would be either uh, mortified or or completely unmoved. By my reaction, it's probably it was probably uh, meant in a joking manner by somebody who's maybe socially awkward. Yeah, it's just the the timing was, you know, changing bad. Di- it was bad. Changing a diaper. <laughs> no. Did, did this did this person never change a diaper in his life? Not no. Or is he just forgotten? He's an old person. Yeah. You know, I'm an old person. Um, but anyway, so that's Idlewild. It's going to be a cheerful. I was going to talk about the dining hall. I was going to talk about um, celery sticks. That's sort of a lunch. Oh. I, I was trying. I had a bunch of lunches just of uh, 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 dining hall salad bar celery sticks and cucumber slices. Yeah. If you eat a lot of them, yeah, like a big dish of those things, it's a pretty good lunch. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You know, uh, speaking of cucumber slices, one of the restaurants I was at in uh, Edinburgh the other day, they gave me a pitcher of water uh, with some ice in it, as as a, as a good restaurant will give you, and uh, it did not have lemon slices in it. It had cucumber slices in it. That's nice. And yeah. you pour the water out, and you just get to the, just the faintest, faintest flavor of cucumber. It was really good, really good. I'm gonna do it here at home. It's good. Cucumber is an amazing, uh, amazing, uh, amazing addition to to lots of drinks. Do you grow any? You all aren't gardening much this year, are you? No. In fact, I was just bemoaning this. We we've been. Rena and I have been distracted by her work and my travel and her travels to go hang out with her dad, who's who hasn't been well. And uh, our landscaping is just catastrophic. It's we haven't done any weeding. It's just everything is overgrown and it's a little depressing. But it's also lush. Yeah, lush. When I came home, I was shocked at how extraordinarily lush everything was. Um, but. Uh, well, we we can we can talk more about celery next week. We'll we'll, we'll we can have a we have years. Yeah, years plenty of time to talk about celery. Yeah, 
there's an infinite number of public podcasts we can do on, yeah. on such subjects. We'll never yeah. die. Yeah. We don't have to stop. No. We'll do we'll do the last one from the Burger King. <laughs> Final episode. The moans of the dying around us. Mayor McCheese's face looms into yours and asks Where is it? Where is it? Why haven't you written it yet? Are you hungry for lunch? Well then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well then come to lunch. Cause it's time for lunch. Box with Ed John. That's right. It's time for lunch. Box with Ed and John.